The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. You know how this works. It is 5 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 6 p.m. in the Canadian Maritime. Wait a minute. It isn't 5 p.m., is it? It's 6 p.m. North American Eastern Time. And that means it's 7 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes and half past seven in Newfoundland. But beyond the Americas, it is still... 10 p.m. in London and Dublin, 11 p.m. in Warsaw and Budapest, where the tide of refugees uh, has begun to diminish very strikingly. Uh, Midnight in a still-beleaguered Kiev and Odessa, 1 a.m. in Moscow, where Tsar Putin is looking for volunteers for major generals. Uh, half past one in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half hour time zone. 3.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter hour time zone. 6 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth. My apologies. 9 a.m. in Sydney, a far more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeree. And Saturday afternoon for our listeners in the Pacific. March the 18th. On this day in 1980, a Vostok 2M rocket at Plesetsk Cosmodrome, Site 43 in Russia, exploded during a fueling operation killing 48 people. On this day in 1997, the tail of a Russian Antonov An-24 charter plane broke off while en route to Turkey, causing the plane to fall to the ground and kill all 50 people on board. A lot of Russian stuff doesn't work terribly well, as uh, they're discovering every day. On the other hand, on this day in 2014, the Dumas of Russia and the Crimea signed an accession treaty by which the latter joined the former. Before we get started, just a word, there are two quite separate things. There is a war in Ukraine that is ongoing and actual and is being fought by the two belligerents. Then there is the question of what America and NATO ought to be doing about it one way or the other. That is an entirely separate matter, and you know my view, as I've stated often, America and NATO should stay the hell out, because after the fall of Kabul, we all know how crap and dysfunctional they are. And until thoroughly modern Millie and the other four-star trannies running the Pentagon have addressed that, they shouldn't be getting into any more wars, because they will certainly lose them, because that's what they do. 
And then there is a third quite separate thing, too. So that's three separate things, if I'm counting correctly. The politics of it in American domestic terms, which, you know, I don't really care about. But I note that uh, the war fever seems to be working quite well for Joe Biden, mainly because Lindsey Graham is on Hannity every night. And that's always good news for Democrats. But Lindsey Graham, again, but Lindsey Graham being a silly ass is completely different and separate from the actual war whose actual bombs are falling on actual people. The rest of the world, as they put it on the State Department maps, is, uh, is, is, is an actual place. It's not just a plaything for morons like Leslie, uh, like uh, Lindsey Graham. So do bear that in mind. And uh, with that caution... Let us uh, get to it. Ali M is first up today. And Ali M says, Mark, thank you for your wonderful man on the street interviews and reporting. It's been very enlightening. I'd like to know how we can reconcile President Zelensky's passionate nationalist rhetoric with the fact that he's a World Economic Forum member. This is, if you're not familiar with the World Economic Forum, this is Klaus Schwab's Davos set. I don't quite know when it became so important, because at one point it wasn't important, and then round about after the fall of the Soviet Union, it got important. Um, but Klaus Schwab, as you know... <laughs> Uh, I, I think it was Walt Trimmer who said he doesn't really look like a... You shouldn't be saying he looks like a Bond villain or the Darth Vader from Star Wars. He looks like Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon, and he's even got the same outfit. So anyway, Schwab the Merciless and the World Economic Forum. Is Zelensky a puppet of the globalist elites who has been charged with protecting their interests in Ukraine? A case can be made that Ukraine is a globalist entity even without the benefit of NATO or EU membership because it has been the West's B-word for years. Uh, yeah, we can't write off entire nations uh, just because they've got crook political classes. Uh, I don't I think you have to distinguish between again, I, I don't want to always be picking on the US Constitution. Uh, but I think that has actually deformed the way we look on, on politicians, this idea that somehow they're um, not only they're the they're the leader of the nation and also the embodiment in some sense of the nation. And that's particularly true in a media age because Zelensky is the only guy in Ukraine that most people outside Ukraine uh, have ever heard of. Uh, but the fact is, you know, that's a weird way of looking. I didn't hear any. I can honestly say I can honestly say uh, that the name Zelensky hasn't actually come up since I walked into Ukraine. And uh, not because I, I just don't think it, I don't think it, I don't think that's what it's about. I'll tell you, I'll just give you some, I'll just give you something off the top of my head. Uh, from the moment I did walk into Ukraine, as you know, I had to walk into Ukraine because the, uh, the rental cars are primed to self-destruct if you try to drive them uh, from Hungary into Ukraine. So the rental car had to be abandoned and I walked into Ukraine. And uh, it's quite a it's this is quite a chunk of no man's land. 
So you walk past the Hungarian guys, and then you're in no man's land, and you come to the Ukraine guy, and well, in this case, a very nice Ukraine gal, actually, a lady. And they're part. Their border guards are apparently part of the military in Ukraine. And there was a little hold. There wasn't a big holdup. There were like uh, bedrag- a somewhat bedraggled family in 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 front of us, also walking in, laden down with you know, supermarket bags with clothes in, that kind of thing, and uh, and then me. And uh, there's a bit of a hold-up, and I don't speak Ukrainian, so I'm trying to figure out what the hold-up is. And one or two more uh, people in military uniform, border guards, come up and join this very fetching young lady, and then a couple more. And I eventually realize they're gathering for something. And what they were gathering for was a moment of silence for their dead brethren in the Ukrainian military. And so they all stood there with their heads bowed when they'd assembled, and we did too, having figured out what was going on. And when they unbowed their heads and raised them up, uh, I realized that, in fact, they had, they had tears in their eyes. They were genuinely moved in a way one doesn't often see on those kinds of occasions. And that's nothing to do with Zelensky. That's because they're Ukrainians and this is Ukraine. And yes, whether or not Zelensky is a puppet of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum uh, is separate from that. Just as in the way, if you're an American, the fact that Joe Biden is a filthy, dirty, well, as John O'Sullivan said, he's a nasty son of, he's a mean son of a bitch. John O'Sullivan, who is the mildest and meekest of men and not given to that kind of language, uh, said that on TV to me the other day. Joe Biden is a crook. Joe Biden has been in public service for 50 years and he's got a property portfolio that you would have to have been one of the most successful investors on the planet to have amassed. And who knows what else he's got? So he's a crook. America's being led by a crook. Well, he's not being led by a crook because he isn't doing anything. He's a brain-dead crook. Uh, and then the next in line is an idiot who thinks keeps saying that Ukraine is in NATO. So, you know... Who the hell is running America, right? America's obviously not being run by Biden and not being run by Harris. And even the people who are running Harris aren't running America because they're having her say completely idiotic things such as that Ukraine is in NATO. So who's running America? You know, so I don't think anybody in Ukraine thinks that Zelensky, whether they like him or not, is Ukraine. This is, again, a very, I hate to keep beating up on the Constitution fetishists, but the the Constitution has failed so dramatically in America because you now do not even know, although it prescribes, you know, the age of the person has to run for president and they have to be from different states and you have to have an electoral college, blah, 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 blah. You end up with Biden and Harris, neither of whom is running America, and nobody knows who is. Uh, but one of the interesting things about that is because it gave a word to the world for a non-monarchical head of state, president. It means that people now think the political leader or the head of the political branch 
is also a kind of leader embodiment of the nation. No one, you know, that's a very new thing. Nobody ever thought Lord North or Spencer Percival was the embodiment of Britain. I didn't get the feeling that, um, you know, when I saw the uh, when I when I saw the tears in those eyes of those border guards, which was actually very moving their moment of silence in which we joined for their dead comrades. I didn't get the feeling that they thought this was all about Zelensky or even anything to do with Zelensky. So whatever he is, it's a multi-party system. Um, he's made the most of his moment. But, you know, as I said, it's a multi-party system, uh, or, or it is so long as Putin stays out of it, so who knows who's going to wind up there. I think there's more to a nation than that. The, the World Economic Forum, the globalists, are a terrible thing. And, uh, and, and, and ultimately, they're at odds with democracy and, a better word than democracy, self-government, responsible government, government that's responsible to its electors. The whole World Economic Forum, the young global leaders, Justin Trudeau, Jacinda Ardern, a race apart, breeding a race apart from the nations which they, from which they nominally come is antithetical to self-government, to responsible government. But that's not what's uh, going on in Ukraine just at the moment. Gabriel Garcia Moreno says... In your excellent reports from Ukraine, um, the remarkable stoicism of your interviewees uh, confounds the horror and devastation inflicted upon them and provides unique first-hand testimony. After the incredible and disturbing spectacle of Putin's euphoric Nuremberg-esque rally in Moscow today... Uh, <laughs> Well, we should add that some of the people who were there said they were told to be there. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's pretty much like a Joe Biden rally. Are we seeing a manifestation of our 21st century alternative fact echo chambers playing out in the most horrific and destructive manner? And will it fatally wound the Potemkin regime in like manner to the Tsar's hubristic defeat to the Japanese in 1907. P.S. GB News should reflect on the drastic improvement in technical quality achieved by moving production to a war zone. <laughs> yes, I joked that after, I think it was last Wednesday's show, about 10 days ago, um, that uh, which was such a technical fiasco that I figured I'd rather take my chances with the Red Army than with the GB News control room. And it is interesting. They made such a botch of... Cathy uh, Gingell was actually in the London studio that night, and they couldn't even get sound audio to her. She's actually... She's not anywhere remote. She's not even in her house she's not at a remote studio she's actually in the gb news studio and they can't get audio to to her um so uh, i figured yeah yeah normally you're worried when you like go to somewhere like ukraine that you're not going to be able to match the technical quality you would get by doing it in a center of global production such as london but in fact uh 
I think we should do it from Ukraine every night, to be honest, from the technical point of view. Anyway, about your point about the uh, Tsar's defeat to the Japanese, that was, you know, the shocker for the world then was that a, a, a white race had been defeated by the Asiatic race. That's how it was presented in the European press uh, when um, the Tsar lost to the Japanese. But, you know, what you have to remember is that even with that defeat, he stuck it out another uh, another decade. The, que- the question here is, Putin's the kind of guy, and I, underst- I can understand why a certain type of person digs Putin, but he's as full of it as, as a lot of other, you know, blusterers and blowhards. Uh, a lot of people like Putin because they think he's, oh, yes, he's, he's sticking up for the white man against uh, the Muslim hordes uh, because of what he did uh, in Chechnya and places. But in fact, uh, and again, this, this comes from just people I've been talking to this week uh, who've encountered uh, or, or at least glimpsed uh, various of the Russian forces hither and yon, and they report to me uh, that the, the the chaps he's got in Ukraine are about uh, 30 to 40 percent Muslim. Let's call it a third Muslim. The Russian army is a third Muslim, uh, which it wasn't in World War II. So he, what he's doing in effect, when he says he's doing this for the Russian Orthodox Church and all the rest of it, you can believe that if you want. But the fact is, it's, you know, why is he recruiting in Syria? Why is he recruiting ex-ISIS members? Because uh, in many ways, uh, he's, uh, he, he's in a position where he has to adjust to the Islamization of Russia as best, uh, as best he can. Putin, though, is one of these guys, his glamour... Uh, depends on him being a winner. So if he can't win, he's not Putin. And, and you know, for, 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 for those of us in the West, he's like a cartoon villain, a cartoon strongman. He's the bare-chested guy riding around on horseback. Uh, and that's fine. He's a, more, he's a rather more boring and predictable and cookie-cutter kind of authoritarian if you happen to be on the receiving end of him. And it is uh, fascinating to me the way the resistance to him in Russia is actually becoming more and more open. And it is quite incredible that people are prepared to, uh, to speak out against him. But I don't, I think, to as I said, I think it's important to bear that in mind. You know, oh, he's, he's, stand, he's standing up for normality. Yes, that was very clever, his remarks about whatever it was he said, people pursuing their gender interests, mocking mocking the West. Yes, we're a joke. Yes, we've got women who are hung like horses, and uh, we all pretend uh, that's a perfectly normal thing to the point where we change the meaning of words like pregnancy and cervix and all the rest of it. So yes, we're bonkers and frankly deserve to die uh, because... Uh, if you look at the whole swimming team thing, if you've, uh, if you're uh, willing to pretend as the horrible, horrible, horrible 
dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt American, unwatchable American sports things now, uh, where a guy can go shower off in in the ladies' locker room with all the girls, uh, and his wedding tackle dangling down to his knees, and then just climb into the girls' bathing suit and go and stand on the podium as uh, ladies' swimming champion in America. Yeah, Putin's right to hoot and jeer at us, but. Just because we're sick and decadent and depraved and deserve to die doesn't actually make him uh, the saviour from all that. And that's a point to bear in mind. Eric Redman writes, First, your programme yesterday from Ukraine was simply splendid content with great guests and qualified as must-see TV. I, for one, did not want it to lapse and was even conjuring your eventual book on these times, please. Read last week's recurrent technical glitches. We can't just have questions about the appalling technical glitches at GB News, uh, especially audio on your GB News show. Many of us believe such to be symptomatic of a general and alarming inability of people to do their jobs chronically noticeable over particularly the last decade with apparent impunity. It is not my intent to necessarily suggest remedial terminations, but in this brave new slacker world, even a serious session with a supervisor seems to be no longer uh, acceptable lest someone's fragile feelings be dented or horrors a perceived inappropriate pronoun be wantonly inflicted. Yeah, it, it could be that. It's all, it also could be as basic, Eric. You're right. Your general point is that a lot of things that were reliable are no longer quite so reliable. I remember uh, Kathy Shadle. This was one of the many brilliant points Kathy made in her short life. Um, but Kathy uh, was... There used to be a thing on the internet about cake disasters. And it would be about, you know, this is where you want to have a cake made for your kid. So you go along to the place and you say, I'd like it to be iced with happy birth, happy seventh birthday, Freddie, or whatever the kid's name is. And there were all kinds of ones that went on and went wrong. And for a while, there was a website in which people posted these things. And after seeing one in which uh, it, it 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 was a beautiful cake, <laughs> and then it perfectly iced on the top of the cake. Cake was put name of child here, <laughs> and of course the whole assumption of the thing is that this is people just like you who are stupid. And, of course, Kathy pointed out it was because when you go and, you know, order your birthday cake from Walmart or whatever, it's, uh, it's likely to be, you know, some uh, unskilled immigrant who doesn't speak English who winds up icing your cake. And so you have this thing, which, again, will be very familiar in Russia, as we were talking about at uh, the top of the show, where you have a an elite that is dependent on ever-shrinking levels of competence by, uh, by, by the uh, unskilled hordes they've loosed into the land. So event, you know, so some of those guys wind up as MS13 gang members, and others who can't quite cut it in MS13 end up icing the birthday cakes 
at wherever. And so you do get a ge- that's what the general lack of competence uh, can depend on as much as anything. James P says all great civilizations eventually decline. But I can't think of a precedent for a society deliberately embracing decline by turning against the resource treasures beneath its own feet. I'm referring to the West's obsession with climate change and net zero and the progressives' war against oil and gas. And you're quite right about that, James. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue we're killing ourselves. The very stupid thing that Boris Johnson said a couple of days ago, that Putin was a pusher who'd got us hooked on oil and gas. Oil and gas are what what keep the Industrial Revolution going, which has lifted huge numbers of people out of poverty and enabled them to live lives utterly transformed from the lives that their great-great-grandfathers led. But Boris is apparently such a twit that he actually thinks that uh, none of us were hooked on oil and gas until this pusher Putin came along. I mean, completely fatuous thing to say. I will also say that I'll also say this. I'm actually looking right now, (laughs) craning my neck, at a wonderfully lavish brochure that was given to me by a chap on the board of the Ukrainian Apple Council a couple of days ago. And it's about all the, you know, the terrific... It's it's an industry brochure, but it's very lavishly done. And it reminds you that... Uh, Ukraine is a resource economy. It, it like it exports its apples. Uh, its apples go to the Black Sea ports, and then uh, you know Israeli ships take those apples to Israel. Whatever. It's, it's a very. Uh, it, we had a guy on uh, the show on uh, Wednesday night, Dennis, <laughs> which I didn't think was a terribly Ukrainian name, but Dennis uh, gets granite. From the, uh, from the Carpathian Mountains and other mountain ranges in Ukraine, uh, get special types of granite, and they go mainly to uh, fancy uh, construction projects in the Far East. Uh, you ha- and then, of course, there's the most basic one of all, wheat. People say, again, this thing, oh, Ukraine, <laughs> Ukraine, what a pissy little nothing country. It doesn't really matter. It's a, recall, it's a resource economy and uh, one thing that does matter is that the the price of wheat will be disrupted by this and that will cause various the good news is for Lindsey Graham is that it's going to cause various revolutions and uprisings and civil wars in uh, in Africa and the Middle East so he'll be able to have there'll be a whole bunch of other places he can demand boots on the ground for but but the one thing about the one thing about that uh, is it, what you see all over when you when you meet the apple guy, when you meet the granite guy, when you meet the wheat guy is in Ukraine. Nobody's embarrassed uh, uh, at the fact that you exploit these things and you use these things, uh, and then you come to somewhere like the United States, where everyone thinks it's virtue, or everyone who matters, not you know people 
like my New Hampshire neighbors who uh, have to drive 30 miles to work. <laughs> just before I left, uh, I was talking uh, I was talking to my uh, makeup lady, <laughs> whom I'm missing rather a lot this week, <laughs> as you probably noticed. Uh, but Christiana was uh, telling me she, some friend of hers who'd who'd worked out that filling up the car now cost more than one day's wages. That's a choice. That's a choice made by uh, by America's leaders to leave the stuff in the ground and then to go begging. Either, either, you know, because unfortunately, we, yeah, we could get the cheap oil and the cheap gas and the cheap everything from Russia, but we've decided to make him our cartoon villain of the year and collapse his uh, entire country. So now we're having to uh, call Maduro in Caracas and <laughs> ask him if he wouldn't mind uh, pumping some more of the stuff and lowering the price for us. And then we're having... Uh, to call Mohammed bin Sultan and ask him if he could take time out of his hectic schedule of chopping the guy up with the bone saws and he could start pumping some more stuff. It's a choice. It's a choice. Decline, uh, as, 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 as Charles Krauthammer always used to say, decline is a choice. America has chosen decline. Its leaders embody decline. It's appalling, cat-handed, fiasco uh, wartime ventures are almost a ludicrous parody of decline. Calvert Whitehurst says, following up on Mark's interviews with various Ukrainians, it appears that the Russians are stalled on the ground. Could they just continue their air bombardments until some nations step in and offer to negotiate a peace settlement? I think what Putin wants is to annex that portion of Ukraine east of the Dnieper River, plus all the Black Sea coast, and have a Finlandized Ukraine that does not join NATO. But would the Ukraine government and people consent to that? Well, I can tell you what the people say, and that's no. They don't want that at all. They regard themselves as a uh, they regard themselves as a European nation and part of the West. I heard that over and over, just from people I uh, I've been talking to in coffee shops. Uh, from almost the moment I crossed that border, uh, after the uh, ladies uh, uh, sold the lady soldier and her comrades doing the moment of silence, I heard that about uh, 25 minutes later, uh, stopping in a uh, coffee shop in uh, the border town of uh, Berehove. And... Uh, and I didn't, I hadn't expected to hear it express that explicitly. And the way it felt a bit to me uh, was the way it felt when I first went to Hungary. If you went into Hungary from Austria, you thought that Austria was a Western nation and Hungary was just a, a, a step behind. And if you go from Hungary to Ukraine, you feel the same you feel the same sort of things you see the remnants of soviet life all around you uh from uh from from the moment you cross the border 
suddenly you see rusting larders, which you don't see anymore in Hungary. You did the first time I went to Hungary. Uh, uh, I rode around in once, uh, one uh, provided for me by Magyar Television. Um, they're aware of what, and so it's a slightly odd. It's a slightly odd thing because on, on the one hand you see all these latest Western cars, you see all the people with the BMWs and the Citroens and all the rest of it, and then you also see these, you know, these thirty-year-old rusting larders as a reminder that the past is still present in Ukraine, all around you. All around you, people don't. People people know what they would what they would be going back to, and they don't want to go back to it. So, Calvert's solution: Oh, Putin wants to take all of Ukraine east of the Dnieper River. In the old days, uh, as you know, if you you've heard uh, my Sechevel Sitwell adaptation on Tales of Our Time, Ukraine didn't start till the Dnieper River. So, what's west of that isn't. Uh, Ukraine, if you're a Hungarian or a Romanian or a German or a Czech, that's not what you think of as Ukraine. You think of Ukraine as east of the Dnieper. Um, and have uh, and the idea that it would ha- be a Finlandized uh, Ukraine that doesn't get to join NATO. The Ukrainians don't want that. They look, they look at Hungary, they look at Slovakia, uh, they look at Poland and and they think we're a little way behind, but we can be that. They don't want to fall back and be and be uh, Russian. Uh, Drew Weber writes, "Hello, Mark. A recent article caught my eye, stating that Disney parks were priced out of reach of middle America and now catering only to the wealthy. The trend is not limited to theme parks. The date capitalism successfully brought an ever-expanding stream of amenities to the masses. Will this continue in mature Western nations? With a projected population increase of 100 million, a debt-ridden and broke America will not be able to keep up. Many things now available to the middle class will become regulated and in short supply. Only the elite and apparatchiks in the U.S. will have access, much like in communist nations. Your thoughts? Oh, I don't, I don't doubt it for a moment. I don't doubt it for a moment, and I think that will suit them just fine. Um... And and there's going to be there's going to be more and more. We have downward mobility. We have downward mobility in our rural areas that nobody cares about. Because one reason why Trump won is because the Democrats are all about these more fashionable uh, victim groups. You know the 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 uh, the transgender spectacularly endowed swimmer is uh is a victim uh that appeals to the democrats or you know some basically uh, obnoxious obnoxious churlish uh muslima immigrant like ilan omar is more appealing as a victim to democrats whereas blue blue collar rural america reduced to uh, meth labs or crappy service jobs in uh, at the gas station during the late shift of the, is just of no interest to them 
And so we now have down, downward, you know, the whole thing about America as a proposition nation doesn't work if you, act, if you have actually declining social mobility uh, compared by comparison with, certainly by comparison with other Western nations. So what we're seeing now is the, is the, the, the fentanyl classes who were of no interest to Democrats, which is one reason why Donald Trump won in 2016. Uh, you're now going to see uh, that expand ever, 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 ever upwards. So you're, you're going to have less of a full spectrum of social classes and as in somewhere like Venezuela and and much of Latin America you know just two classes the elites and the masses and no way to get from the masses up to the uh, elites and 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 the idea of Disney World Main Street USA I mean and I loathe Disney World and all that kind of stuff I'm not. I'm not really into it. I I always like the sort of slightly homemade theme parks. When my kids were younger, and, and my daughter for her birthday always wanted to go and ride on the giant teacups at Storyland in Conway, New Hampshire, uh, or go and see the bears at Clark's Trading Post, where there's a little railway that runs through the woods, and a crazy old guy with a beard. Comes, it's very New Hampshire, actually. Uh, starts, comes out with a, a shotgun and starts firing on the train and telling all the Flatlanders to go back to Massachusetts. Uh, it's delightfully New Hampshire. It's New Hampshire at its best, and, and my kids loved it. And oddly enough, the, the one time uh, we tried Disneyland, they didn't care for that at all and thought that giant Mickeys and Minis were rather wandering around everywhere were totally creepy but the but the fact that the fact that uh, increasingly uh, Main Street USA at Disneyland will be beyond the reach of most Americans from Main Street USA is in fact a fine image for where we're headed Caroline says the price of bread is rising <laughs> Mr. Stein, are you as eager as I am for Kamala's let them eat cake moment? She's bound to say it. <laughs> and then cackle, which uh, Marianne, Man, Marie Antoinette, it's a very apocryphal thing, that whole let them eat cake thing. But you could bet that if she ever said any approximation of it, she didn't give a great Kamala cackle at the end of it, which Kamala surely will. When she, well, that's again, that's Ukraine, because Ukraine exploits the breadbasket of the world. These guys are real. These guys are real. You know, I, I won't disguise it. People don't, people have different views of Ukraine. I happen to like, it has, it's true, there are parts of what is now geographically Ukraine that have terrible, dark histories. And uh, that's certainly true as far as the Holocaust is concerned, because the elimination of Jewish populations was as total as anything. A lot of these towns went back and forth, as I've talked about in recent days, between 
the Habsburg Empire and the Principality of uh, Transylvania and the Polish and Lithuanian Commonwealth uh, and, uh, and the Mongol hordes got in there. All kinds of people had a piece of the action. But f- for centuries and centuries, what these towns were mainly were uh, Jewish, the heart of Jewish Europe. And um, I mentioned, uh, what's the border town? Berehove. And I was talking to some guy, and uh, I said, well, are there any Jews still around? The, the last Jew there died in 1988. So the Jewish community has been eliminated. And I always think about these things because it, it's, it's worth, remember that, worth remembering that real estate is just real estate. And it's sometimes just as it is when the Smith family has lived at the old homestead for 200 years. And then one day the guy can't keep it up anymore. And after two day, 200 years, there were no Smiths in that corner of town. And it's worth remembering that that happens all over the world in, in larger demographic transformations too. And so I got interested in this part of the world, in part because uh, in the crudest sense, it's a reminder of what's likely to happen. The end of demographic continuity, for example, uh, we're going to be talking about this as a, a rather interesting new book on the, the subject. The end of demographic continuity in many Western nations is a, is a sad thing, but it's also a fascinating thing. And if you come to this part of the world, you see it all around you. Uh, not not just with with the Jews, but also with the... the I mean, I, uh, if you'd come to where I am right now, uh, a century ago, you would have found a zillion German speakers. There were no German speakers anymore. Things change. And uh, permanence is the illusion of every age, as I always say. But the reason the price of bread is going up, and again, the price of bread is what caused uh, the end of Mubarak's reign in Egypt, it, it was a big factor in the Arab Spring. These guys had crap lives, crappiest of lives. They'd had a, 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 uh, an explosion of births in a poor and corrupt country uh, that had no way of coping with the increase in population. So instead, so instead uh, they just became poor people who couldn't even afford... Uh, to buy bread, which went up after the Lehman Brothers collapse in whatever it was, 2008. So a couple of years after that, all these guys rose up and you had the Arab Spring, basically because of the price of bread. And now the price of bread is going up again because of this war in Ukraine. You know, these things are all connected. These things are all connected. Uh, after all, if you're Joe Biden, uh, you, 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 you call that uh, the sticker price at the gas station, you call that that Putin's fault. That's Putin's fault. He's going to ride that phrase all the way to the next election. Oh, it's Putin's fault. And who who are the guys who like Putin? Oh, it's the Putin wing, as Lynn, Liz Cheney says of the Republican Party. But but it's not just the price of gas. It's the price of bread. Uh, 
which is going to go up because uh, Ukraine's the breadbasket of the world. Uh, Brian from Minneapolis uh, says, Dear Mark, the war on public discourse has now taken a turn from how to handle COVID to how we view this war. There is no desire to ask questions of what we may have done to contribute to the mess in Ukraine, only that Putin must go down at all costs, at all costs, even if it means the truth must die along with us on the way. We're even having to deal with conservatives that actually believe that the same government that produced misinformation for a dossier that helped spawn a witch hunt and a spying campaign against Trump are now good suddenly because they're fighting the globalists uh, because the Ukrainians were dealing with the Bidens and Clintons. They can't win a debate, so they shut it down. What makes them think they can win a war? Do you see our own hate and distrust for the globalists going to such a degree that we no longer care how many innocent lives are affected in this war so long as Putin goes down? Be it the Ukrainians that have to deal with it or the Russians who oppose the war are being punished by Russia and the West alike. Your thoughts, Mark? Just excuse me a moment. I've got to have a glass of water. Got a got a touch of uh, uh, dry mouth uh, here. Yeah, uh, that's uh, you. you <laughs> I think that's like a first draft of your question, Brian. You you should perhaps have uh, taken another look at it and sort of. Uh, uh, edited it uh, slightly. I don't. I think there's a, always a danger that every every foreign foreign policy is basically an opportunity for domestic policy uh, to Americans. So they're not places that have a real purchase as actual places, but they're places that are just of interest because. You know, it puts up three Biden three points with soccer moms because they think he's going in on the side of the plucky Ukrainians or or whatever. And I find that rather boring uh, from my own point of view, as well as as sort of somewhat insulting to the rest of the world that it only exists for. Va- I mean, and you hit and it's talked about in those terms on American telly, which just drives me to despair. The fact of the matter is, um, you know, America can't win a war. That's the central fact of the 21st century. So nobody has reason to fear America. The one thing that's come out of this war is because Putin bungled the invasion now, Putin went in thinking, yeah, you know, the Americans are a laughing stock. What do I care? And then it turns out he's a laughing stock too, or he's in danger of becoming one. But the but the central fact of the superpowers declining reputation is these unwon wars. And it's like and what I can't stand is uh, the Lindsey Graham, it's almost as if Afghanistan and Iraq never happened. Oh, who cares? Yeah, 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 we didn't. But we're, yeah, it's only been six months since the last fiasco. I'm all tanned, rested and ready for another fiasco. It's some, the Pentagon should be closed down. And U.S., the United States military 
actually should be shrunk into an effective force uh, that can protect the nation, uh, which is what the principal function of an army should be. And if it has to go on expeditionary forces around the world, it should only do so in the precise national interest of the United States. Now, in Ukraine, no, I never met anyone who wants to see a single American boot on the ground uh, in after about 2006, something like that. They just, they, wherever, you, wherever you went, they sort of understood that it wasn't going to go well for a country that attracts the attention of the uh, boots-on-the-ground crowd in the United States. That's, and that's true wherever you go. And it's been true this last week. Uh, not a single Ukrainian wants any American to fight uh, to fight Ukraine's battle. And I, I understand that. Mrs. Thatcher, I had a, a conversation with Mrs. Thatcher about this late at night when she and I were both a little in our cups, but she was quite explicit that the one thing she, everyone expected, the sort of Reagan crowd, everyone expected would, would join in with Mrs. Thatcher in the Falklands. And of course, Jean Kirkpatrick, who was a brilliant lady in many ways, uh, told Reagan that uh, the British were going to lose and that was just as well because uh, it would, uh, if it was to go otherwise, it would damage America's relations with all those Latin American dictators who were perceived to be friendly to Washington. And Mrs. Thatcher uh, said to me, as I said, late at night, uh, and uh, well lubricated with scotch, as was I, that she uh, she she uh, had never wanted any. This was, you know, Falkland Islanders were kith and kin, and they were going to be liberated by kith and kin. And the help that she had was that Royal Navy ships that were uh, patrolling the South China Seas were redirected to the uh, South Atlantic and the Royal Australian Navy and the Royal New Zealand Navy stepped up and, uh, and, and replaced those Royal Navy ships. But she wanted to keep it family. And she was quite right. And that's exactly uh, in the... That's the... That... Well, uh, one thing that is very... Now... You know, people keep going on about neo-Nazis and things in Ukraine. And it's true, there are uh, these militias. I've seen a couple of uh, militia guys, and they look like, you know, militia guys you'd, you'd see in America. They're big, uh, strapping guys. They look like they might, in other societies, they might be in a biker gang or whatever. They've got muscular, tattooed arms and all the rest of it. Um, but the, but the, the most affable types are the mingling of regular army and reservists, all of whom, who, who are just wandering around, all around, and you speak to them and they say hello and they are one, one of them watched my intro, I think, for 
yesterday's show where I said happy St. Patrick's Day to any Irish viewers of GB News. And um, he came up to me afterwards, after we'd filmed it, and, and wished me a happy St. Patrick's Day. They're all friendly, and the one thing they all say is that they're going to do the fighting. They're the ones who want to take it to the Russians. They're the ones who want to kill the Russians, shoot the Russians, chase the Russians out of their country. They don't want any American boots on the ground. They don't particularly want actually any NATO air cover. When you actually talk to them about it, they'd like some drones. They'd like some drones such as Conrad Black was talking about with some sophisticated uh, missiles on them that, that, or a drone such as the Russian one that fell in Zagreb the other day uh, that, they, that, that, that was the size of a plane. Those kind of drones that can, can actually take out Russian aircraft, they'd like a few of those, got to them discreetly. They don't want it talked about. Real, real functioning, you know, you get weapons to people in underhand ways. Now, I talked about the Falklands. The, uh, the Americans wound up providing, I think, a little bit of intelligence assistance to the British. Uh, they didn't say they were going to do it, and Jean Kirkpatrick undoubtedly opposed it as soon as she found out about it, but there was a little undercover, covert, nudge-and-a-wink type stuff that was going on there, and that's what we should have been doing here instead of all this uh, discussing whether we're going to get Polish aircraft via German bases into Ukraine. Frank Gallenstein writes, uh, or Gallenstein writes, Mark, hats off to you for your coverage to go to Ukraine. My wife and I are praying for your safety. We lost Rush and we don't want to lose you. It appears your visit has increased your admiration for the Ukrainians' national spirit and their zest for freedom. Has it changed your views at all regarding how the West should support them? What should those efforts include? Well, as I said, I think it should be they want to do the fighting. Everyone, everyone I've run into is is quite happy to do it themselves they don't want they 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 they're quite rightly insulted by the idea that yeah you know and again they're not idiots they're the ukrainians are a very intelligent people um and they see what has gone on when a country just becomes somewhere that for some reason a big superpower wants to go blundering around in for decades. So they want that. I'll say something else too. You know, what's appealing to me about Ukraine is that it's a nation state that still feels like a nation state. Um, I mentioned uh, the, that first little coffee shop I was in 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 uh, in, in uh, Berehove. Now, it's, it's true in Hungary to the same degree. I, I mentioned that I walked into Ukraine from Hungary. One of the things I like about Hungary is it's Hungarian. And by that I mean that if you get into a taxi cab in Budapest, you're being driven by a Hungarian. If you uh, go into a restaurant in Budapest, you're being served by a Hungarian. And that's not at all the experience when you're in 
New York or Toronto or London or Paris or Frankfurt or anywhere. You're being all those kinds of uh, wherever you are. It's wherever you are in most of uh, the West. It's everybody under 50 came from somewhere else. And so all gradually all these places are losing their character. And Hungary is different from that point of view. And Ukraine is even more different. I tell you, this week, the only uh, non-Ukrainian I've uh, encountered was a rather pessimistic Armenian lady uh, who's uh, who I'm I'm thinking about whether in fact we should put her on the show, but she she's a little bit pessimistic. She's more pessimistic, perhaps because she's a foreigner than the Ukrainians. But uh, what was interesting to me, she's a Ukraine. She's an Armenian who works for a German company in Ukraine. And other than that, everything about Ukraine, it's all, it's Ukraine and Ukrainians and they're all pulling together and all the rest of it. And you look at these extraordinary, there was some poll done in the United States about uh, how a, a majority of Democrats would not fight for America. In other words, if Putin had chosen to invade America instead of Ukraine, uh, a, a majority of Democrats would say, oh, uh, that's too bad, but uh, I'm out of here, see ya. And it's completely the, oppo it's completely the opposite in, in uh, Ukraine, in part because it's, it's like all countries used to be until relatively recently. Uh, Ukraine is full of Ukrainians, just like Sweden used to be full of Swedes until they decided it would be much more exciting and vibrant if they were uh, full of um, lively uh, young men of uh, different inclinations. And that's a, very, uh, that's a very big difference in how we think of nations and nation states. And that's why this last week has been a delight. It's been a delight for me. Um, because it reminds me of what it used to be like uh, years ago when you would you didn't you didn't need borders you knew instantly uh, when you were in Belgium and when you went were in Germany you know it's it's very different all that now Joseph Dornish says Mark the other night on your show you talked about the kill switch in the rental cars. Apparently, it was in the big spending boondoggle bill that was signed into law in the U.S. last year that all new passenger vehicles, which would have to, would have, to have kill switches in a few years. I was already ticked off about this, but I haven't heard anyone, not even Rand Paul, complaining about this. I've only heard you and so-called conspiracy theorist types bring this up. How do we make this an issue and hopefully get it A, repealed, and B, prohibited? Well, again... This is, this is the world that we are erecting our prison bars in the name of convenience. I was, I was very struck by that. I was thinking, what if I was coming the other way? What if it was, you know, 1938 and the powder kegs about to go up in Europe and I've got one chance to get over the mountains uh, to freedom and uh, then maybe take a packet steamer uh, to, uh, to Britain and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and get away from the hell of uh, the continent as it goes up. 
And of course, you could you, you won't be able to you won't be able to do that. The whole point about digital the car thing is is a, a, an embodiment of the whole thing, the digital passport and all the rest of it is that things that were meant to expand your horizons are going to be used to shrink them. And it isn't, it, it's perfectly obvious. But the kind of people, you know, there's, there's all the kind, the, the kind of people who go, oh, well, you know, if you're not doing anything wrong, you've got nothing to hide, have you? We're going to have governments that will know every every 75 cents you spend on a candy bar they're going to know everything about you they're going to be able to understand your digital profile every i remember when this came in with onstar uh which i think was the first one they had batman advertising it in the batmobile and i had cars with onstar i didn't really not wasn't anything i asked for just, I think it was General Motors. It was one of the big American ones that had OnStar. And the only time it became a thing was I was in a, um, I can remember this because it was the day before I was speaking at a National Review fundraising event in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, so I wound up doing that event all bandaged up because my Chevy Silverado decided to take me for a ride unprompted Turned out there was some little, a little bit of plastic that came off, tended to break off in the accelerator, uh, and they had to have a big recall of these things. But they didn't do the recall until after the Chevy Silverado had killed me. In fact, I was a bit suspicious that somebody at Chevy had read a column I didn't like and decided to press the button for it to kill me. But anyway, the Chevy Silverado took off, and then uh, and I was frantically trying to brake, 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 and then eventually it, it stopped. And I went smashing forward, and uh, the airbags went off, and all the way. Like eight seconds later, the Odd Star comes on and said, "Well, what is this? Is Odd Star? What is your location?" And, and I'm, I'm going. I, I was all concussed, and I, I can't talk now. I've just been in an accident. <laughs> so, uh, bye. I said goodbye to Odds. They were too prompt. They knew where I was. They knew they were too prompt. And I always thought that was a bit odd because, you know, they could easily say, we can see your location at Madame Fifi's Bondage Dungeon or 37B Maple Street. And I always thought that was slightly creepy then. Now it's now where they can disable the car if they don't want you going particular places. We've got the panopticon state that people have been warning about for centuries and there's going to be two kinds of worlds and th this is why somewhere that's slightly behind such as Ukraine is actually a more enjoyable place to be in a way because it's not a high-tech surveillance society and where we're going to go I don't know how you it's like they always used to say about nuclear weapons oh but how do you uninvent them well, how do you uninvent cars that enable the state to know everywhere you go at any moment of the day? Um, Michael Trueblood says, Mark, what do you think Senor Xi thinks he would gain by crushing and conquering 
Taiwan. Surely another 25 million Chinese people don't add significantly to the gene pool. Owning a nearby island can't do much for him either, and I doubt he sees Taiwan as a military threat. It might even cost a little to change labels from made in Taiwan to made in China. Well, you know, China is a very clever... Uh, the, the people who run China are very clever, certainly compared to our leaders, but they do also uh, think in terms of overall national pride, and they see this in the way that other people do, uh, in other countries do, and they see this as a part of the nation that is not currently part of the nation, and that they have to restore it. Uh, and and they will at some point. Um, I rather think, and I think they're doing that on their own timeline. That's the other thing about the Chinese. They've got their timeline. So it's not as if they're, you know, so uh, Putin goes into Ukraine and a couple of days later the Iranians lob some missiles at a base in Iraq because they deduce from Putin's invasion of Ukraine that Joe Biden is a weak nothing representing a dying superpower. And yes, uh, Chairman Xi deduces that too, but he's not going to, I don't think he's going to accelerate his move on Taiwan based on what the Russians do in Ukraine. I think he's got his own timeline for that. Martin G says, as an ex-British seafarer, I'm naturally in sympathy with the officers, ratings and staff aboard P&O ferries as they get unceremoniously dragged off their ships in handcuffs to be replaced with cheap labour. If you haven't seen this, it's a a big story in the UK with P&O ferries where uh, I think it's 80% of the staff are being laid off. Uh, A lot of pro-Brexiteers are saying, told you so, but I don't think it's anything to do with that. What uh, What are your views? Yeah, I think it's, I think industries, it is, it is the idea. And again, it's different if you're where I am right now and you look at, and and you're in a society which has the normal expectations of life, which is that the jobs in that society are done by the people of that society. And so what's actually happening at P&O is, is very odd, because clearly some of these things they'd like to be uh, mechanized, but other things are just going to be done, as you say, by cheap labor from elsewhere. And, you know, the idea uh, of the sort of living wage crowd is that, yeah, there won't be any of these jobs for you to do, but you'll be able to play with the little knickknacks and be on social media sharing your posts all day long. But the, uh, along with that goes the kill switch on the car. In fact, your world is going to be shrinking, 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 and there won't exist the kind of jobs that will enable you to bust free of that. Uh, let's have one more question. This is like Theodore Cumlander who says, Greetings, Mr. Stein. I have a new idea uh, on why Russia invaded Ukraine. I will keep it simple. Big Oil has been trying to sell LNG to Germany and Eastern Europe. 
since 2008, but LNG is quite a bit more expensive than NG. That's liquid natural gas, liquefied natural gas, and NG natural gas. So no sale, what to do. Big Oil calls its partner, big government, who calls its loyal servant, big media, to start a propaganda against Russia, plus a color revolution in 2014. This triggers a war between Russia and the UK, which triggers sanctions, which include refusing to buy Russian national gas, which opens the market for American liquefied national gas, natural gas, selling at a premium. War for profit. I would be happy to hear your thoughts on this. I don't actually think that's true, although I... It could be. Uh, interestingly, Ukraine, as we talked about the other night, was the original Soviet gas market. Uh, and then it got a bit tapped out, which is where the Russian gas came in. But I don't actually think that's true. I don't think they think like I don't think they think like that anymore. I think I think uh, the I don't yeah I don't I don't think they think it that through that logically anymore. I really don't. This this war arose uh this war arose because the most crooked Americans uh thought they could make a lot of money in Ukraine uh, monkeying around in Ukraine's affairs. I mean I still would like to know why Lindsey Graham uh, is in the order of Prince Yaroslav the Wise. Um, you know who the first U.S. citizen to be inducted into the order of Prince Yaroslav the Wise was? George Soros. It's it's a very uh, great order. There are a small number of people who've received it, and a uh, and the Americans who have been inducted into that order are all very strange. And basically, people who put wound up putting Ukraine in the crosshairs. Eric Dale says, um, Hey, Mark, uh, will Vladimir Putin be remembered as Russia's George W. Bush? Bush inherited a U.S. military that had a reputation of invincibility following Operation Desert Storm and promptly exposed its weakness in trying to fight wars of occupation and pacification in Iraq and Afghanistan. Until the invasion of Iraq, Ukraine, I think most of us assumed that Russia was a formidable power in its own right, but maybe the Ukrainians are showing the Russian bear's growl is worse than its bite. Well... You know, I don't know whether the, the um, uh, Americans had a reputation of invincibility following Operation Desert Storm. That was a, a classic uh, sort of war in which, in, in which you know, we struck at the king, but we didn't kill the king. And, then, and so by surviving, Saddam Hussein had the last laugh. Now, the, you can make a kind of analogous situation uh, with Ukraine, but I think it's I think it's much I think it's more basic than that. You know, he's not when when America goes to war, it hamstrings itself with ludicrous rules of engagement and all the rest of it, and uh, and in a sense, just as decline is a choice, so ineffectual warmongering that ultimately leads to global humiliation is a choice. 
You know, it's a racket, the military. It's just a racket like so much in American life. It's just a racket. And yes, it requires real people. That's the soldiers whose life, like the poor guy in Vermont who committed suicide after the fall of Kabul because he realized that getting injured uh, and all his injured and dead comrades, it had all been a complete waste for those buggers at the Pentagon with their stupid mess medals from shoulder to scrotum. Uh, it had all been a waste. It had all been a racket. Because, it, it, yeah, uh, people die. People get horrible, life-changing injur injuries. But, you know, for Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, it's a great way to test out these new systems, and they all make their money. And for the chiefs of staff, it's great. And then you retire from the chiefs of staff, uh, and you go and become a board member uh, of these defense lobby. It's a disgusting, filthy, hideous racket. And uh, it's uh, and all the I heard somebody the other day, you know, talking about the bio labs or oh, uh, that they on Fox News of all things. Oh, yeah, I believe the denials about it because it came from the Pentagon and they're the people who run the greatest military in the world. This was a conservative, a conservative on Fox News thinking that that's oh, the Pentagon runs the greatest military. Where the hell have you been, you idiot? You killed, you killed untold thousands of your own men over 20 years with stupid rules of engagement, no strategy, no war aims, no definition of victory. Oh, but I still believe the Pentagon because they run the greatest military in the world. Thank you for your service. I'm so sorry. You've, uh, three of your four limbs are missing. Uh, and we skedaddled out of uh, Kabul, but we got to run the LGBTQ flag up over the embassy for a month. It's a joke. It's a crap global joke. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Thank you for your service. I think of that guy in Vermont. Do you think that's sufficient for him, driven to suicide, whatever it was, two or three days after the fall of Kabul, it's, it's one of the most pathetic things I've ever heard. Pathetic. It's, it's it, the whole way of... The whole, the whole American way of war needs complete rethinking. And, you can't, and it's not just for the soldiers whose lives you ruin. Oh, thank you for your service. It's also so bloody crap and third rate that a thoroughly modern Millie with weighed down by all the medals hanging down from shoulder to scrotum, he bungles the fall of Kabul so that there's all those people killed. There's the 13 U.S. service members that uh, they talk about on Fox News, and then there's all the hundreds of civilians too, just ordinary Afghans who just happen to be there near where the bomb went off. And then think, oh, what could we do to make this global humiliation even better? Oh, I tell you what we'll do. We'll use our crack lavishly funded intelligence services to track down the people responsible for the bombing and then we'll drone them 
Oh, and here we go, droning them. Oh, what a shame. The intelligence was crap, too. So now we've killed a family of photogenic moppets on our way out the door. So long. That's all, folks. More Looney Tunes from the Pentagon next week. No, there's two things to come back to where we started. There's an actual war with actual people. And then there's people for whom I have nothing but contempt, like Lindsey Graham and Mitt Romney and all the other people who forgot they've forgotten the droned moppets. Haven't you? You buffoon of a senator. How would you like it to be on the other end if some senator from Ukraine was demanding boots? Oh, we, uh, look, at, look at Kenosha. We need to put boots on the ground there. I don't know. I don't know. I tell you something. I I like Ukraine, and as I said, the people are, uh, you know, the people are highly intelligent. Uh, and I could see myself in certain circumstances living in Ukraine more easily than I could say in Massachusetts these days, which is a corrupt one-party state. I mean, if you look at the number of elections, state state elections they have in Massachusetts, where there's only one party on the ticket. I could see myself. Uh, I could see myself uh, living in uh, Ukraine more easily than in a corrupt uh, society such as uh, Massachusetts. Anyway, I got a little bit excited, so let's have a little bit of music to close. We've had a couple of sort of Ukrainian contributions these last few weeks. Here's something I heard in a Ukrainian coffee shop in. Uh, Berehove on my first day uh, this week. It was a hit in America uh, five years ago, and I believe in 2020 it was represented to be one of Joe Biden's favorite songs because the hipster who uh, cooked it up endorsed him somewhat awkwardly. This is the Ukrainian version of Despacito. Всякий реально красивий наш тобою край Гори, доли, ріки, чорна зем Дивись, які реально мудрі люди народились мав Франко, Стефан, Ікшойці, Котельма Ми можемо зробити все самі Можемо бійти ми під землі Але навіщо нам йти? Я візьму со свої руки і піду І допоможу всіх, хто зазнав біду Я почну міняти світ і себе Десь по світу ти шукаєш іншу Україну А вона живе в твоєму серці Незалежна, вільна і єдина Майбуть, я ти сам собі будуєш Пошукав баласа і добра мандруєш Повертайся на Україну, буду мати Справжню батьківщину! Українські пісні, танці, тільки твого серця ритму Мова наша соловіна Милозвучна як молитва Є відомі в світі наші науковці і спортсмени Мудриці і музиканти А які у нас 
Стенко і Тарас Шевченко, Сусура і Франко, і Леся Українка. Писали всі для нас, а живете тільки там, там співаєте чужі пісні, стукаєте в там, там. А наші цимбали, скрипка і трембіта, так файно звучали, за душу чіпали. На наші верховинці бойки гуцули, лемки і мазури по горах танцювали. Світу по світу нас порозкидало, нас тепер чимало по цілому світу. І все на освіті треба пережити, і наперед не треба ворожити. По світу по світу нас порозкидало, нас тепер чимало по цілому світу. І кожен фініш – це по суті старт, і за минулим плакати не варт. Десь по світу ти шукаєш іншу країну, а вона живе твоєму серці. Майбуття ти сам собі будуєш Пошуках багатства і добра мандруєш Повертайся на країну будувати Справжню батьківщину! Українські пісні танці тільки твого серця ритму Мова наша соловіна Мило звучно як молитва Є відомі в світі наші науковці і спортсмени Мудриці і музиканти А які у нас? Нас порозкидало, нас тебе чимало По цілому світу Повертайся будувати справжню батьківщину Рідну Україну Uh, the Ukrainian poet Roman Stashinov wrote that lyric, and he got... Oh, we're going straight on, are we? Are we leaving already? Uh, he got a bunch of young uns from the Lviv area to sing it to him. That's Despacito Ukrainian style. This story continues to evolve, and we'll stay on it, as we have done all week. Stay safe, stay free. Sorry it's been a bit of a bare-bones edition, but we'll get back to full strength soon.